Welcome to episode 91 of the Running on Ohm podcast. This is your host, Julia Hanlon, and I'm excited to have Sarah Bard, accomplished runner who lives, trains, and works in the Boston area on the podcast. The Running on Ohm podcast is founded upon the belief that by sharing the stories of innovative minds, it can spark your imagination and deliver encouragement and insight in your path to personal growth and transformation. I want to take a moment to really thank all the listeners who have been so supportive of this show and its mission this past year. If the podcasts have been a part of your life in any way, I would love to know which you, yes, you who's listening right now, your feedback on this podcast. The easiest way you can do this is to leave a review on iTunes. Your honest perspective will allow me to both better this podcast and also allow the Running on Own podcast to gain more visibility on the iTunes interface so that more like-minded people can find it. Leaving a review on iTunes will take you less than five minutes and really make a world of difference. I had the privilege of interviewing Sarah in person in Boston. We were connected through a mutual friend who's also named Sarah, who's a talented yoga teacher and professional dancer that I hope to have on the podcast someday soon. Our mutual friend Sarah bragged of Sarah, the one who's coming on this podcast today's, recent accomplishment of winning the JFK 50 miler in November. What was even more amazing, though, was that it was her first 50-miler, and Sarah's not even a professional runner. She works full-time and manages to train and compete at a really high level while keeping a balanced perspective on it all. So let's find out how she does it. In this episode, Sarah discusses how she started running in middle school. How coaches can change your life, Sarah tells the story of the influence of her coaches in her running development from the tough workouts of her high school coach to the wisdom of her college coach. Sarah's most memorable race in college. It was actually running the Boston Marathon in her senior year and the challenges she faced during it. The importance of mental and physical breaks from competitive running, especially after one's racing season's over. Sarah's experience balancing her social life and training. Why she decided to explore ultras and a recount of the JFK 50 miler, her first ultra, which she recently won in November. Sarah reveals her favorite local running routes and her racing plans for 2015. All this and more on this episode of the Running on Home podcast. Running on Own podcast. Hi, thanks. <laughs> so I get to be sitting with Sarah in person. We're both based in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and both are avid runners. Now, Sarah has had a lot more running experience than I have, and I want to understand when did you start running? What inspired you to first lace up your shoes? Uh, I started running in junior high. Um, I had been previously a gymnast. But it was getting to the point where I was old enough to realize how scary gymnastics can be. Um, falling off the beam or being on the bars, um, I just started to like get that fear. And I was ready to try something new. And running seemed like a good option because you're already on the ground. You can't fall. <laughs> um, so, And actually, I remember the reason I got into running was that in junior high and sixth grade, they made an announcement that anyone who was interested in fall sports got to leave class 30 minutes early. And I was like, oh, well, the only plausible sport I could do is cross country because I'm not coordinated with fall sports. 
So I went thinking like, oh, I'm not actually going to do this, but I'll get out of class 30 minutes early. <laughs> and then I, I liked it, so I stayed with it. And that was in sixth grade is when you started. Yes. Um, and at that point, it was like exciting to complete running a mile. Like that's what we did. And I remember coming home and being like, oh my God, I ran a mile. <laughs> yeah. So. And then just last weekend, you ran 50 miles <laughs> at a blazing pace. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. <laughs> And so fast forwarding then to high school and to college, were you running competitively on teams then and continuing to chase, you know, personal bests and times? Yes. So in high school, we had a very competitive team. Um, We were state champions several years, both in indoor and outdoor. Um, And I had a great coach who was sort of, I think, got some criticism for being... Um, like pushing us a little too hard um, from some people and some people thought he was great Um, in retrospect I think that he probably had the greatest impact on me now um, of anyone who I've worked with just because we did things that I since have not done workouts that hard Um, just looking back we would do every Thursday I think it was was 16 300s and the entire team would do it um and it was just brutal um we it was probably not as brutal like as i think it was (laughs) but i just remember those days being so hard um and i think he expected a lot out of us and made us think that it wasn't such a big deal to be doing these workouts but then when i went to college we never did a workout that hard (laughs) wow Um, so we had a really strong team i think doing um doing stuff like that makes everyone really close on a team because you see yourself in a uh like at your worst and at your best and you see your friends and your peers um also in those situations so everyone's pretty close um and I really loved our high school team even though I was exhausted like all the time so when I went to college I didn't want to be in a situation where I felt like running was the biggest part of my life. Um, I kind of felt that way in high school. Like that was what I thought about all day. Um, whereas I wanted to actually think about my academics as well. Um, and so I went to Wellesley, which had a great team, but didn't have that pressure that athletics was first and foremost. Um, and, uh, my coach was John Babington, who I think many runners would recognize. He, um, worked with Joan Benoit and Lynn Jennings and has just been in the running community for like for so many years. Um, and John was actually the only coach who called me when I was in high school and talked to me just about running. And like you could tell that he just loved running and was super thoughtful about it too. Like he's just like, he can see all the different aspects of training and racing and how it's going to affect people in respect to the other runners who are also out there. Um, John's really passionate and really loves running and he loves runners. So it seemed like a good fit and the team was excellent. And I just ran cross country in college. Um, I didn't do track, so that was nice. It was a good intense season. And then the rest of the year was mostly about academics and spending time with runner friends. And when you look at your college career, what stands out for you as your most memorable race? Uh, <laughs> probably the races I did the worst at. <laughs> um, I don't know if I have any really significant races from college. I just remember 
that experience being really probably the greatest part, like in general of my college experience. Um, Like I said, John was like a father and a coach. He was just very nurturing and devoted to his athletes. Um, And I think also Wellesley is not a very social environment. Um, Maybe it is for some people, but it wasn't for me. And so having the cross country team as like this family in college um, was a really significant part of my experience there. But I really can't think of any races. I did the Boston Marathon my senior year. Maybe that was it. Um, I did the Boston Marathon my senior year of college um, with one other teammate. We Anybody who's on the cross country team and was a senior had the option to run Boston. John was able to get us entries and we both, my friend Mimi and I ran it and I just crashed and burned. Like I went out in 1.30 something and I finished in four hours. I remember getting to Wellesley and being like, okay, I'm done. And then I had bought the Boston Marathon jacket and I was like, I can't wear this jacket and not have finished the race. So then I started running again and then I was like, no, I can't do it. And so I, I ran back like as if I were going to get on the commuter rail to just meet Mimi at the end. And then I was there at the commuter rail and I was like, no, no, I have to go. And so then I started running again, but I pretty much ran walked the whole second half because I was just, like I had just gone out too fast and it felt awful. Um, and John met me. I remember probably around like mile 25 I saw him and I was like, I can't do it. <laughs> and he ran beside me in jeans <laughs> for the last Aww, um, mile of the race. <laughs> so that was maybe the most memorable because I think it was really, really a difficult and painful experience. Um, just feeling like you have so far to go and your body is just not interested in continuing. Um, I didn't run for almost two years after that because I was just so like scarred by the run marathon. or race you mean run I would like run three miles every once in a while thinking that I would want to get back into running and then I just didn't but I also feel like from what you've described I mean it sounded like running was something you were pursuing at a pretty high level from a young age from sixth grade onwards so in a way it makes sense to me that when you finish college and a lot of people sometimes need to take that mental break. Yeah. More so than even just the physical. Perhaps you needed that. Yeah. That space. Yeah. I think that that is definitely true. Um and I have maybe what is not a very common approach to racing at the level that I am running right now. Um in that after marathons I often take like a full month to two months off. From running like I won't run at all for a month sometimes um, and it's because it's a nice I don't know if I necessarily need the physical break as much as the mental break like I really love training and when I'm training I'm very focused in it and I'll run a lot and I will be very thoughtful about the other aspects of my life like sleeping and eating and socializing and I we have my husband and I have a good group of friends who are not runners, so they'll stay up late. And so I forego seeing them for what I feel like is months. So um, after that, I often take a break and, you know, I enjoy not running as much as I do running sometimes. But um. That's beautiful. Yeah, I think a lot of people are, who are runners are afraid of taking that time off. Yeah. They're afraid of maybe losing fitness or afraid of being able to get back into it. So when you took that two-year break, what made you get back into running 
and obviously you were really marathoning at a pretty high level. Mm-hmm. Almost, do you did you hit the B standard, or you almost hit the B standard? When I ran Boston, I ran 402, so no, I did no, not qualify. No. <laughs> but I mean, oh, for the qualifiers. Yeah, the qualifiers. I'm 16 <laughs> seconds off now. Okay, so. 16 seconds yeah. is nothing. Yeah. <laughs> but it feels like a lot, because you're, like, thinking about these seconds now. Just, like, that's seconds like per mile. Step, <laughs> like, yeah, that's nothing. But. Um, I missed the B standard in 2012 by, like, 30 seconds. And I, so far, have missed the B standard for this qualifier for 2016 by 16 seconds so okay um there's something haunting me about like maybe I just need to think about the b standard as like 242 and not 243 and then my body will just do it (laughs) but now maybe it thinks about 243 and then I'm just like just looking at those seconds like right around it um what made me get back into it well I gained a lot of weight um not a lot, but, like, for me, as a smaller person, I just felt, like, slightly uncomfortable um, in my body for a while. Not, not like, how other people perceived me. It just felt my body had always been a certain size. And I, you know, graduated from college. I would probably gained a little bit of weight in college. And then um, I just felt kind of crummy and probably was a little bit angry some of the time. I think running... I'm like a very energetic person and I feel almost like a, an, an over-anxious dog sometimes. Like you have to take these dogs out for walks or otherwise they're like ripping apart your furniture. Like you just need to wear them down. And I feel like that's how running is for me. Like I need to go out most of the time and like just wear myself out and then I'm like a normal person. Um, so my husband and I actually met in kindergarten. Um, we didn't date at all um I think we went to a dance together like a formal dance but then we didn't date um and we both went to separate colleges and then after college we were both found ourselves on the west coast um I was living on Lopez Island in Washington and he was living on Friday Harbor and there's a ferry that connects those once you're on the islands you can travel to all the other islands for free so he would come visit we started dating um And he moved to Montana after a year, and I followed maybe three months later. And I think at some point he said to me, like, you're, I think you should try running again. Like, you're just not, like, the person that you normally are when you're not running. Um, I took that pretty offensively at the time because I thought he was criticizing me. (laughs) Um, But I did get back into it, and I think Montana was a really good place for me to do it because a lot of the time I was running up mountains at a speed that was slower than walking but I couldn't really compare it to any previous times that I had been running like every other time I had tried to get back into running was on the islands which were just flat and I would be running and I'd maybe run 10 minute pace and I'd be like why is 10 minute pace so much harder like eight minute pace used to feel like this and um so I would just get discouraged and have a hard time getting back into it on a regular basis um but in the mountains there's nothing really to compare it to. So I was just going out with one of John's friends actually kind of got me back into it. We would meet after work um, and just like do these short runs in the mountains. And after two years in Montana, we found out we were going to be moving to Chicago. Um, My husband was starting a grad school program and I knew the Chicago Marathon was sort of 
a good first timer marathon and I sort of thought of this even though I had run Boston like as a my first time like trying again trying to get the distance down um so I decided to sign up for that and that's where I ran around 315 which was 45 minutes faster than my last effort um so that went better than I expected and I requalified for Boston and then I went back to sort of redeem myself at Boston and that I think I PR'd well I did PR but I can't remember the time off the top of my head did you break three at Boston or no I think because I had such a horrible experience my first Boston I was very cautious about taking time off my previous PR so I would like pick a PR that I wanted to hit and then I would just do that so I think I ran maybe 308 and then I broke three hours at on New York uh, or at New York um, maybe the following fall. And so for you, what, how do you think you've made such big leaps in the marathon over the past couple years? I mean, going from a 315 at Chicago, if we're going to call that your first marathon, to running around 243, where, how was so much time shaved off? What changed in your training? And what did your training look like for that PR marathon? Um, I think part of it is that, and maybe this is why JFK went well, is like my body likes running a certain pace and can run that pace for a long time. But if you ask me to run a 5K at my marathon pace, like that's probably as fast as I could go in that 5K. Like my body just doesn't really like running really fast. <laughs> um, but as far as those improvements... I think a lot of it was getting back into doing workouts um, and that was sort of a progressive thing like the workouts I was doing maybe started out as you know short 400 800 1200 sort of workouts and then moving up to more like two mile repeats um, when we after Chicago we moved to Virginia and I joined um, a team there that we were living kind of far out in Virginia and the team was in Arlington. So I was only able to join them once a week for a workout during the week. And then I would often drive in on the weekends for the long run. Um, and that was capital area runners. And they had, um, there are many teams in DC, but they had a really strong core group of women and everyone was super supportive. Um, and the coach George also very knowledgeable and um, I think really, cultivated a good dynamic on the team so that's where I really felt like I got into workouts again um, that were more geared toward marathoning and um, longer distances and that helped and then when I moved here I was with the BAA for a bit um, and Terry Shea who is an incredible coach um, was the coach at the time and he really helped as well um, get my workouts to be more geared toward marathon distances and thinking about recovery and so I think that that probably was a lot of it I think having the support I would say the thing that helped the most was having the support of like family and my husband um he I think it's hard to date and marry a competitive runner like we're very uh I wouldn't maybe selfish is a good word for it like you have to be selfish to run well you have to be thinking about yourself like often you know our friends will invite us to go out and I'll be like nope I gotta be to bed by nine because I'm really gonna fall asleep otherwise <laughs> or um you know I I think that 
um, taking care of myself is a big part of my life. And, you know, John has really supported that um, and that lifestyle. And I think that that's been a big part of it. Yeah, I think that's a really, really on point thing you're saying that running is in a way selfish. And so how do you how do you reconcile that? I mean, emotionally and mentally, what do you think about that in in the selfish term? Um, I mean, I think it's a little bit good for the both of us. John himself is very athletic, so he also understands that and I think his lifestyle wouldn't be much different than it is now if he weren't married to me. I mean, I think he would still go to bed at a reasonable hour and like eat well and, um, you know, be okay with, well, if we weren't dating, it wouldn't be, but like, you know, I spend a lot of my weekends running or meeting friends for runs or wanting to go hiking or something like that. And I think these are all things that are as important to him. Um, but as far as, taking care of yourself and being selfish, I think that that's the most important thing that people should do with their lives. Like, I'm not going to tell anyone else how to live, but I think when I think about it, like, taking care of my body and making sure that I'm treating it right is very important. And I think that it often really upsets me to think when people don't take care of themselves because I think that that's, like, the most important thing we should do with our lives because it helps you take advantage of all the things you are able to do. Yeah, no, that is really, really on point. It's almost as if if we can take care of ourselves, then we can take care of the world yeah. and the other people in the world or animals, and we can do our work in the highest way. And right. We can be as present as possible when we're centered and grounded. Yes, I completely agree with that. Yeah, totally on point. Now, you recently, last weekend, ran the JFK 50-miler, placing first woman, I think 11th overall, or... 13th, maybe. 13th? Okay. I think. Maybe it's 11th. Maybe... 11th, I don't <laughs> Around that. I mean, it okay. was definitely an incredible first ultra marathon for you, and it's 50 miles. Mm-hmm. Now, what inspired you to do an ultra? I mean, marathoning, obviously, was going really well. You are almost hitting Olympic B standards, so why did you run this... 50 miler what was the inspiration um like I mentioned I think well I've been wanting to try ultras for a while but it's just like hard to fit them into your schedule like you're like well I'm what's it like to train for a 50 miler what's it like to recover from one will I be able to run marathons still while I'm like doing these other distances it's also intimidating like I think as you get older, you feel less inclined to try new things because you feel like you should already know how to do them. Um, so there's like that little bit of intimidation. Um, and I know it sounds silly because running is running, but I think with ultras, like there's an additional, like people have, you're carrying more gear with you. You have to know how to eat. Um, I mean, you have to do these things in the marathon, but not to the same extent. Um, like carrying handheld bottles and drop bags and all these things that I think like just are an additional, it's like the reason I don't do triathlons because there's a lot of logistics you have to think about. Um, but I've wanted to try one because like I said, like my pace for the 5k is the same as my marathon. And so I wondered like, I think that I'm inclined to longer distances, but again, I was just like, I wanted to do these longer distances for a while, but 
I just always came up with an excuse like, oh, I'll do it after the next marathon cycle or the next marathon cycle. Um, Because you always think once you hit a goal that that's it. But then as soon as you hit that goal, you're like, okay, well, now I'm going to hit this goal. So there was always this excuse. Um, So I finally just bit the bullet partially because in July I started this new job and well, in June, we went on our honeymoon, and then I started a new job. So after I ran Vermont in May, I really, like, took a break from running a couple of months, actually. And then I just had a hard time getting myself motivated to run a marathon again. Um, and mostly that was just that I didn't want to do the marathon training that I had been doing, like, a very specific, like, I'm getting up at this time on Tuesdays, and I'm going to a workout at this time on Wednesdays and I'm doing my medium long run on Thursdays. Like just felt very repetitive, which often I really like, but I just couldn't get myself back into that. Um, And I thought maybe I just needed a break from running, but it turned out that I was just not interested in the schedule. Um, I still was very interested in running and I was running races occasionally. So I just uh, signed up for a 50k when we were up in Maine um, in early October. It was very low key. I think there were probably like 10 people there, um, and I ran 50k, which was the longest distance I'd run at the time. And it was very like I took it very easy and like stopped at every aid station. And um, it was more just to try to get an understanding of ultras. And then after that, I was like, mm, well, maybe I'll run the North Face, but that seemed like there's a lot of travel. It's 50 miles, which is 19 miles longer than I just did. Um, and it was on like technical train. And I just felt like maybe it wasn't a good step for me. So I signed up for JFK. Um, again, still really nerve wracking, but it seemed like a really good structure in that it added in some technical, but it was all in the beginning. Um, so, like, while my legs and my mind, I think probably my mind, <laughs> were still fresh. Um, and that was that was how I just decided to do it. And so how long did you build up in the training for JFK? And before JFK, what was the longest run you had done? Um, so I did that 50K <laughs> in early October. And I signed up for JFK, I think, October 26th. Um, and it's run November 22nd. So I had about a month. And I probably maybe did, I think my buildup was like, I went from running 20 to 30 miles a week throughout September and then built up like 10 miles a week. So I ran, I think, two 90-mile weeks <laughs> before JFK and probably four 20-milers between the 50K and the 50-mile. So the training was not what I probably would have done um, if I had had a lot of time. But again, I think if I had had the time, I probably would never have signed up in the first place. So um, I knew unless something crazy happened that I would be able to run 50 miles. Like that's what I, that was my main goal with this was learning about ultras, getting through 50 miles. Like I almost thought of it like my first Boston, like, okay, I'm going to run this. I'm going to try to finish and I'm going to learn like what, you know, what's at the aid stations? Like, what am I supposed to do? Like, how many times am I supposed to eat? And like, just try to figure out these things. Like, did I wear the wrong shoes? It really was not something that I was even thinking about time or, I mean, I thought about placement a little bit, um, just looking at previous year's results, but 
I did not think about time at all. Um, so did you, when you were racing, how did you pace yourself? I mean, because you were running, like, almost maybe 7.45, 8-minute mile pace for 50 miles is, is fast. I mean, yeah. <laughs> how did you feel out the pace for it? Um, I just went with, I went with the, there were two women who took off from the line, and I just went with them. They weren't running that fast, but they were running pretty fast. Like, I think we were running about seven-minute mile pace. Um, and I thought that it was pretty fast, but I wanted to get to the trail before a large amount of people because I didn't feel very confident with my trail running, so I didn't want to be having to, like, think about passing people. And I didn't want to be doing that thing where you pass someone and then they pass you back and then you pass someone and you're just, like, annoying each other the entire time. So I wanted to make sure that I sort of got to the trail early so that I could be the person that gets passed <laughs> um or at least just be there so I could see the footing better um and also I really had to go to the bathroom on the line but I and I knew that there was a bathroom at mile two so part of my strategy was also just to like get to the bathroom <laughs> so I went out with these two women I knew they were like sort of the women to watch out for um and I sort of like looked around and they seemed to be the only people like I wanted to know who was in the mix because I'm a competitive person. So that's just like my natural instinct. But those first 15 miles were really just about like running my own pace and not falling down. Um, so I ran probably like nine minute mile pace through the woods. Um, those two women took off and then I was surprised because I actually caught one of them right before we exited the woods. She caught me back because we were going downhill, but we were both very close to each other. And then I saw the number one woman because she had changed her shoes right when we got out of the trail. So she had like a few minutes where she was allowing us to catch her because she had changed her shoes. Um, but then when we got onto the canal, like I was just able to open my stride up and I sort of expected that I'd run 7.30 pace, but I just tried to settle into a pace that felt comfortable, which was about 6.50 pace. And I think I held that for, um, I probably like wavered between that and 7.15s for the entirety of the canal. Um, and how long was the canal stretch? About 26 miles, 27 miles, I think, something okay. like that. Um, I stopped at most aid stations and they, I learned that they'll fill your bottle for you <laughs> if they have enough people, I'm sure. Um, so they would fill up my bottle um, and I would try to eat something or tie my shoes or stretch, um, just sort of catch up and relax for a second. And, and so at that point when you, had, you were on the canal running super fast, <laughs> were, you, were these other women in, in eyesight or had you pretty much completely dropped them? So when we got into the canal, I could see the first place woman. She wasn't too far ahead. Like, I could see her pretty well. Um, and I thought, okay, I'll just pick up the pace a little bit, and I'll run with her. Like, the thing that appealed to me about ultras is that you sort of have that – you have that ability to so socialize with people. And since I wasn't trying to be ultra competitive and, like, crush someone um, – <laughs> by being intimidating or anything. I was just like, oh, I'm just going to run with this woman. We can chat and, you yeah, know, we'll see how it goes. It. Um, we still had 35 miles to go. So the race was not in its, like, last legs. And I caught her fairly quickly, and I thought to myself that I could run, easily run. I could keep running the pace I was running. So 
I just went past her. And after that, it was just me. Um, there was a bike slightly up ahead because they have a lead bike for the male, first male and the lead bike for the first female so that we don't get lost, which on the canal seems silly, but um, I think you'd be surprised how easily I can be like, oh, I'll go this way. <laughs> so it was nice having the bike far enough ahead that I could see in the distance um, and just like kept going and hoped that I wasn't going to get caught. And were there any moments in the 50 miler that were really mentally or physically challenging for you? I mean, running the longest distance you've ever run. Yeah. Um, I felt very good through the majority of the race. I know, like, I did do the thing that I normally do in races, which is, like, I'm constantly breaking it up. Like, I remember at one point... I was thinking, you know, I got to mile 25 and I was like, oh, and now I'm halfway there. And then I got to 26 and I was like, now I've run more than a marathon and I have less than a marathon to go. Like I'm constantly breaking it up in a, in many, many ways. Like just thinking about getting to the next aid station. That's like one way to break it up. Um, but I felt really good through most of it. Um, I think a lot of it is just like thinking about the length you have to go ahead and just worrying that something tragic's gonna happen. Um, but I do remember thinking, like, I can't wait to get onto the road. That part's gonna be so easy because it's eight miles, which eight miles is like some a distance of a run I do like almost every day. It's not that far, it's less than an hour. Um, it'll be fine. And then I got onto the road and I guess I didn't really look at the road profile at all. Like I knew the AT and I, know, I knew the canal was flat. But the road was just open rolling road and you could see really far ahead and you could see the hills that were coming up and even though they were rolling those miles were really brutal like i had the bike but then a police car joined and having a car drive slowly in front of you is so defeating because it's going so slow and even though i was running like a fine pace for running like to see a car moving as slow as you're going is just you're like, oh, these are just crawling by. Um, and I stopped at every aid station. There are four on the road <laughs> in those last eight miles. Um, I even stopped at the aid station a mile from the finish. Like, I think if somebody had told me that there was an aid station a mile from the finish, I would have laughed and been like, who's going to stop at an aid station when you're so close? You've like already run 49 miles. Why are you stopping? But I definitely stopped. I was like so worried at that point that my legs were just gonna like everything still felt fine like I had some spots like my calf and my hip flexor were really tight and I had to stretch them but um you know I was just worried that something unexpected would happen like I'd just be like running to the finish and I could see it and then like the second place woman would just blow past me and I'd be like crawling on the ground or something <laughs> yeah it's so we can make up these kind yeah. of Scenario yeah. Head. So when you actually did cross that finish line, what was your reaction to have just completed your first 50 miler in a really incredible standing? Um, I mostly just wanted to call my husband and tell him how it went. He had stayed back home, um, actually. So I was just very excited to like call him and be like, "Oh my gosh, I just won! Can you believe it?" Like I thought he would be like really excited for me and, um. I had a lot of time to think about what it would be like to win because I was like, 
from mile 16, I was in the lead. So I was thinking, you know, oh, this is so exciting. I'm like leading this race. I hope I don't get past mile 45 or something like that. Um, I think it really didn't hit me until people started to talk to me about it. Like the race director came over and he talked about um, like my performance and that sort of, I just really had no expectations and or understanding really of like what my performance meant in perspective to other people's performances. So it really wasn't until I talked to people after that I was really excited about it. Like my main excitement was that I finished and I was like still standing and <laughs> that I won some money was nice. Um, and that I got to, you know, call my husband and tell him that I won. But I think a lot of it was just, um, the experience was just so nice. Like everyone I talked to after was just so excited. And regardless of whether I won or not, like everyone at that race was just so nice. Every time you like encountered another runner, they were just so happy that you had finished and just done this thing that they had just done. And they knew how hard it was and like how much work went into the entire thing. Like, I just think it was a good experience in general. Yeah, it sounds really positive. And I mean, I've had numerous ultra trail runners on the podcast and so many people have spoken about the powerful community yeah. that you encounter in those races and that the community is really what makes the experience so fun and why people keep on coming back to do these <laughs> yeah. distances. So when you look towards 2015 for yourself, right now are you in a period of recovery and then what kind of races are on your calendar? So I had signed up for the Houston Marathon, which is in four weeks, but I'm not going to do that. Um, the recovery, and I think due to my lack of training, um, the recovery after JFK was really brutal. Um, after marathons, I've been able to sort of, even though I've taken breaks, I've been able to like go for a five or six mile run or an eight mile run with no problem afterward. Like maybe I'm a little bit slower, but nothing hurts really. Um, I tried to run the Wednesday after JFK, which was four days later. I just tried to run to work because that's how I usually get to work. Um, and I couldn't do it. Like I physically, I started running and I had to stop after like 20 seconds. And I just did this like run walk combination all the way to work. Um, and then I can't remember how I got home that night. I think I just walked home. I did just walk home. Um, because I just physically, my legs, like every time I started to run, like all my muscles just tightened up. Um, so the recovery took a little bit longer, so I'm not going to be running Houston. Um, I'm actually very interested in the possibility of running the 50K road championships, which are in March. Um, so that's sort of in the back of my mind now, as far as, you know, now I've had four weeks to recover. I decided to take my recovery really seriously and not try to push it for Houston. At first, I thought maybe I would. Um, so I'm going to start gearing up for that and hope that that works out. I might try some snowshoe races. That's something I asked for for Christmas was new snowshoes so that I can do these races. Um, I just want to start doing things that are slightly different that I've been interested in doing, um, that I also think will help develop my agility and my muscle strength in areas that, you know, I might not be targeting on my everyday runs to and from work. Um, and then, I mean, 
for the fall, I would love to do JFK again. I'd also maybe love to try the North Face, but I don't know like how I could work those two together. But I would like to try to do some longer distances, get better at trail running. Um, I really enjoy JFK, so I think continuing to explore these longer distances is something that I'd love to do and is important to me. Do you think you will return to the marathon and try to qualify for 2016 Olympic trials as more of like an afterthought to the other dreams you have? Yeah. I mean, I think part of my motivation for also trying ultras was, like I told you, I just felt like my marathon training was getting stale. Um, And it's funny because, you know, if you talk to, I think there was something Jen Shelton, who's like a pretty outspoken runner, said about the marathon trial qualifier was like, yeah, sure, I can just run that. It's like she runs ultras and she could just probably go out there and run a marathon trial qualifier any day. Um, And I think part of me hopes that I can still explore ultras and continue gaining strength in areas that I haven't been really exploring. And, you know, maybe after I run an ultra, then I'll, after the 50K maybe, I can recover and then target some more marathon specific training, but build off that base that I had just previously built. so maybe doing something like grandma's in June, which would be, you know, a recovery period that seems reasonable after the 50K while also allowing me to build into that time. Um, I'm going to play it by ear and see how it goes. I don't want to um, make myself too nervous or bogged down by race goals. Um, but, I mean, I think it's something I should do. I think maybe I just le- need to mentally step back and stop worrying about these 16 seconds. And I think if I do, maybe they'll just come pretty easily. Um, So we'll see. And I know my close friends who have gotten their marathon (laughs) trial qualifiers are just like, just get the qualifier and then (laughs) do whatever you want. So I think it would be good, but I'm not going to stress myself out too much about it. Um, In 2012, I missed the qualifier by... 30-something seconds, and then as soon as they dropped the qualifier to 243, I easily ran under 246. So I think it is really just that mental aspect of trying not to focus so much on those seconds and just remember um, that I just want to get better and run for myself. And Yeah, and it sounds like this upcoming year is going to be your, a year of exploration and just total joy in the sport. Yeah, definitely. And with that will come the times, which is really exciting. Yeah. Now, being a fellow Bostonian or Canterburyan, I'm really curious to hear from you. What is your favorite running route in Boston or this area? Ooh, that's a tricky one. Um, I feel like it really depends on the day, but I feel like I run on the river a lot, which is just like a real cop out because <laughs> that's where I'll go probably all the time. The footing's good. Um, for the most part, but I actually have this loop from my house that I really like because it's six miles, which I feel like is just the cusp of like a, a decent run. Like I sometimes just want to go out for a three mile run, but then I'm like, Oh, three miles. I'm like getting dressed to like go out for 20 minutes. (laughs) Um, and this is a loop that when I first moved here, I kept getting lost when I went over to Fresh Pond. Like I think over in that area can be very confusing. That's actually maybe close to where you live (laughs) um 
but I call it the Pekarski Loop because I was lost at Fresh Pond and I ran into, or in those neighborhoods, and I ran into a friend whose last name is Pekarski, and she sort of directed me the best way to get home. Um, and the loop itself is about six to seven miles, and that's probably my favorite is just this, like, back alley. I take the, the path, the Minuteman path, to Fresh Pond, and then I just, like, weave through neighborhoods along Linnaean to Mass Ave and then yeah. back but um that's more just a personal yeah just a little road. local loop yeah a local loop I mean everyone has their favorite little loops that they've made in their yeah. own communities yeah it's that's one of the joys of running yeah it's kind of getting to be this artist this <laughs> yeah you know of your past yeah it's a beautiful thing yeah but in Cambridge you quickly learn when you try to take that same loop home that all those roads are one way <laughs> yep <laughs> So to close up our interview, I have a few fun either-or questions. Okay. Sunrise or sunset? Uh, sunrise. Tea or coffee? Tea. Mountains or oceans? Mountains. If you had a superpower, would you rather fly or be invisible? Whoa. Um, I'd probably rather fly. Thank you so much, Sarah, for sharing your story on the Running on Own podcast. I'm really excited to see what 2015 will bring for you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to episode 91 of the Running on Own podcast with Sarah Bard, accomplished runner who lives, works, and trains in the Boston area. I'm really excited to see what 2015 holds for her. Before I sign off, I want to ask the Running on Home community a favor. As I said at the beginning, the easiest way for you to help support this podcast is to leave a review on iTunes. If it's been a part of your life in any way over this past year, please consider giving five minutes to write a review. Your honest perspective will allow me to better this podcast and also allow the podcast to gain more visibility on the iTunes interface so that more like-minded people can find Running on Home. This is your host, Julia Hanlon, and I hope you have a beautiful day. Mm-hmm.